All right. Hey, good morning and welcome to River Ridge Church. Uh, so you may notice my shirt today. This is a authentic River Ridge NFL football jersey. My number on the back, number 86, which was the year that I graduated from high school. Um, so today there is a big football game. Some of you are very excited about the big football game. Uh, I too am kind of excited about the football game. However, uh, what I am more excited about is this is one month from today, on March the 7th, we are gonna begin to have church back inside at River Ridge Church. Woo! Yeah. Um, so we have been wanting to resume uh, church inside, uh, and finally we're at the point where people are getting vaccinated, the number of cases is going down in Kanawha County, and we feel like we can safely do that. And so over the next month, we're gonna be preparing for that. Uh, just to give you a preview, uh, we will limit the number of people in the auditorium. We will start with two services. We will have socially distanced seating in here. Uh, we'll ask you to pre-register. We'll have cleaning things and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, and these will be all family services. Uh, and then our goal is if we get enough volunteers that can do family ministry, that will start on April the 11th. Um, now, if you're a calendar person or an Easter person, you may know that April 4th is Easter Sunday. Uh, and our sense is that a lot of people are going to want to come on Easter Sunday. We have not figured out exactly what we're going to do, or how we're going to do that. But our thought is to have multiple services, more than just two. Um, and kind of we're thinking like we could just start them at like, 6 a.m. and they could run them all the way till like 7 p.m., right? And we could call it a sunrise service with a theme of it's sunrise somewhere. What do you guys think, huh? That works. So we haven't worked out all the details, uh, but we know that Easter is in there. Um, so we're excited about that. Here's the thing. If you are at home today uh, in your pajamas and you're like, you know, I'm not quite ready to gather with a group of people in an auditorium, even if it's socially distanced, even if it's a limited capacity, um, we will continue to do this live stream, the same quality live stream that you're seeing this morning. We'll continue um, pretty much indefinitely that that's something we are committed to doing. So if, you, if you're not comfortable coming or if you're on the road or you're sick or whatever, we'll continue the live stream. Uh, but here's what you can do between now and March the 7th when we come back together inside. Um, if you volunteered um, back before COVID hit in any ministry department around River Ridge, if you could reach out to your uh, ministry leader and let that person know, yes, I would like to serve, or no, I, I'm not comfortable serving, that would be great if you could take the initiative in doing that. Uh, if you have never served or you know, March of last year is too far along ago, and you're like, I don't even remember if I served or not. Um, we'd ask that you would reach out to Kim Nelson. She's our volunteer coordinator. Uh, Kim Nelson at riverridge.org is her email address. Um, reach out to her, say, hey, I'd love to volunteer, and she will place you or help you to find a place to serve. So that's what you can do between now and March the 7th. So, hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Um, God, thank you for the worship. That was just awesome. I just needed to remember the cross. Um, I needed to remember that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, thank you just for the worship and that that spoke to me. And uh, God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would speak to all of us, that you would show us the area of our lives um, that we need to address, that we need to focus on and think about, that you would put that on our hearts this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was about 10 years old, and I had had enough of living in the Santon household. 
My parents made me brush my teeth not once a day, but twice a day. Every day I had to take a shower. I had to clean up my room once a week. I had to make my bed every morning. I mean, the impressiveness of my household at 10 years old was just crazy. I had to go to school every day. I had to do my homework. And at 10 years old, I'd had enough. I'm like, you know what? I am tired of this. I am heading out on my own. And so I decided that it was time to run away from home. And so I took a couple of sandwiches from the refrigerator, put them in my backpack, a change of clothes, put my backpack on, and I headed out the back door of our house. And out the back door of our house, there's some woods, and then on the other side of the woods, it connects to like a little neighborhood on the back side. And so I go trekking through the woods to this little path, and I arrive there, and I'm like, well, I'm kind of hungry. So I sat down, and I ate one of my two sandwiches, and then I kind of thought, what am I going to do now? <laughs> didn't really have a plan other than I was getting out of there, but I didn't have a plan of what to do. And so I contemplated life and, you know, sat around for hours on end. And then I got hungry again and I ate the second sandwich and I contemplated life some more. And I didn't really have a plan. I'm like, well, I don't really know what's on the other side of that street. But, and I'm like, well, you know what? I should probably go home now. And my, my parents will repent of all the oppressiveness of the, the stuff that they made me do in the house. And so I go back and I really expected my mom to say, oh, honey, where have you been? We're so sorry. You don't have to clean your room ever again. Just brush your teeth if you feel like it. And she, I come in the house, and, and her, her term of endearment for me was lamb chop. I think that's weird, but she's like, hey, lamb chop, how are you? She gives me a hug, and she's like, have you been playing with your friends? And she didn't even notice that I had run away. And I'd been gone like two hours. I thought I'd been gone 10, but it was like two hours, and so... And I share that story with you because most of you probably have a running away from home type of story. Uh, you thought about it, you did it, you, you know, that type of thing. But probably the most um, well-known running away from home story is the story of Jonah. And that's what we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at in this sermon series on the book of Jonah. And we're going to talk about Jonah's running, but we're also going to talk about our lives. Now, as you look back at your life, there are probably times that you said, you know, I was running from God. And it could have been that you were running from God for a long time. It could have been that, you know, you went to Morgantown and you ran from God for like four years or six years at WVU. Or maybe it was in high school, you know, you grew up in the church and parents, and then in high school you're like, you know, the heck with this, and you, and you ran from God. Or it could be that maybe you look back and that you ran from God, not with your whole life, but with some area that God called you to, to step up and to serve or to have a conversation, and, you, and you, you shrank back from it, and you ran from what God told you to do. You know, or maybe God said, you know, nudge you, like, you need to forgive this person. You need to enter back into a relationship, and, and you weren't willing to do that, and you ran from God. So you may know about the story of Jonah, or maybe this is brand new, but I think a lot of us, we know the story of Jonah. Or if you know, you know, okay, well, there's Jonah, and he ran from God, and he was swallowed by a big fish. And we kind of know the Jonah side of the story. But really, the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah is not about Jonah so much. It's really about God and about God's character and God's character with us in our lives. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. And that's what I'm so excited to explore over the next four weeks as we look at what is the character of God that we see as Jonah interacts with him. 
So go ahead and open up to the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah is a little bit hard to find. Uh, so it is in the very end of the Old Testament. There's 12 books, which are called the Minor Prophets, and they kind of have names which sort of sound like Star Wars characters. There's like Obadiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, you know, those types of names. Um, the thing about, by the way, giving a sermon online is I have no idea if that joke flopped or like you're laughing hysterically. The Star Wars geeks are going, that was awesome. Everybody else is like, just get on with the story and give a football analogy. It's Super Bowl Sunday. That's what I think is going on in your head, but I have no idea because you're on your TV. So that's where it is. Oh, by the way, you can use the table of contents to find it as well. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so what we learn here is that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance. And it says it was a great city. And so Nineveh was this huge city. They said it took three days to walk all the way through the city. It was so big that they had a wall around it that you could put three chariots on the top of the wall side by side by side and ride those chariots around. But also, as we read here, that it was an evil city. It was a wicked city. They were not followers of God. And it's not just that they were followers of, they weren't followers of God, but they were pretty nice people. They were wicked. And they kind of majored in torture and in power. And so if you spoke against the power of Nineveh, the government of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, then they would skin you alive and bury you neck deep and do worse things than that. But they would do that if you spoke out against them. And so they were serious about their power and they were serious about their torture. And so God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach for them to repent. To give you a, maybe a little of a modern day example, that would be like God saying to someone who is black, hey, I want you to go to the Ku Klux Klan. They're meeting on Saturday night. They're burning crosses in their white sheets. And I want you to go and I want you to preach a gospel of repentance to them. Imagine that. Or imagine the 1940s and you're Jewish. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Berlin. I want you to find Adolf Hitler. You'll recognize him by his mustache. And I want you to give him a gospel of repentance. You'd be like, there's no way. That's the way that Jonah is feeling. Now, we can kind of say, well, gosh, he should have just done what God said, but you can see how that was hard. And here's the other thing that was hard for Jonah is he was kind of in this predicament because, and we'll read this a little bit later, but one of the reasons that he didn't want to go to Nineveh is that he was afraid that they would actually repent and he didn't want them to repent. He wanted God to smite them or smote them or whatever Dave Bishop's word is, to smite them off the, you know, that's what he wanted, right? And so he didn't really want that outcome. But on the other hand, like if he goes and he preaches and they don't repent, they're going to skin him alive. It's just like, I don't, he's got no good options for that. He's kind of in a pickle. It's like, I don't want to do that. So you can see why he would want to flee the other way. What I want us to do each week as we work through the book of Jonah, is I want us to put ourselves in Jonah's feet, 
put ourselves in his sandals, to walk where he walked, and to ask the question, how am I like Jonah? And here's the thing, is Jonah, we, we know this story about Jonah. Jonah is also written about in 2 Kings. And Jonah was a good prophet. It's not like he was a chicken prophet and all he ever did is run. Like he was a good prophet. He was a good dude. But there was this one thing where God said, do it. And he's like, I can't do it. And isn't that like us? It may be that you're running from God with your whole life, but chances are that maybe there's some portion of your life, something that God has called you to do, and you are running from God in that area. And maybe God will bring that to mind. Maybe you're refusing to surrender kind of the money aspect of your life to God. Or maybe it's your marriage. Or maybe it's your sexual choices. Or maybe it's your relationships in a particular relationship. Or maybe that God has called you to do something and you don't want to do it. And maybe you've got really good reasons like Jonah for not wanting to do it, but you're running from God in that area. So let's pick up again in verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to show you a map, and I will put it on the screen, and you guys will see this at home. But this is a map uh, of, and you can see Joppa is there on the Mediterranean Sea, and Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast of Joppa, right? And then you can see that Tarshish is over all the way in Spain, okay? So that gives you a visual, 500 miles one way, but instead he decides, I'm going to head 2,000 miles the other way. Now, I want you to picture this, that you are Jonah, or picture Jonah walking down, and Jonah is thinking, I don't want to go to Nineveh. What I really want to do is I want to go to Tarshish. And so he's praying, God, if you want me to go to Tarshish, give me a sign. Give me a sign. God, give me a sign that I should go there instead of to Nineveh. And so he walks down, and just picture this. He walks down. He walks down to the dock, and what do you know? There's a sign on a ship that says, Passage to Tarshish. And at this point, I'm picturing Jonah going, This is awesome. This is a sign from God that I'm not supposed to go to Nineveh, but I'm supposed to go to Tarshish because there's a ship that's heading in the right direction. Do you have room on the ship? Yep. It's going to cost you some money. How much? They tell him. He goes, I got the fare, and he pays the fare, and he goes down into the ship. Remember, this is about God and God's character, and here's something we learn about God's character, and it's this. An open door is not always a sign from God. An open door is not always a sign from God. You know, when we're running from God, we tend to insert our own narrative. We tend to insert what we want to do in that. And then we look for things to confirm that. Maybe what somebody says, maybe a circumstance, maybe a sign, an open door. And I'm like, this is clearly the way that God wants me to know because there's an open door. You know, and people will sometimes say to me, you know, I got pre-qualified for this big loan, so God wants me to buy this house. Or God opened this door. This girl gave me a wink, so I must have to ask her out. An open door is not always a sign from God. 
Then he continues on in verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up. In your Bible, or if you have an electronic Bible, highlight this little phrase. I love this. It says, But the Lord. But the Lord. God intervenes in this situation. With what? With a storm. You know, in, in Christian circles, and I, and I think maybe even outside Christian circles, people talk about the storms of life, right? And we're going through a storm, and we pray, God, would you take this storm? Would you clear the storm? Would you calm the storm? We pray those kinds of prayers. And God, if you can't calm the storm, or if you're not going to calm the storm, would you at least give me peace to go through the storm, right? A lot of times we pray those kinds of prayers in our lives. But here's what I want us to see here is that in this case, God sends the storm. And that's the second truth about the character of God that I want us to see. Is the same God who calms storms also sends storms. God sent this storm, hurled the storm. I love that phrase. He hurled the storm towards Jonah in order to get his attention. Why? Because Jonah was fleeing from what God wanted him to do, and he used this storm to get his attention. And even though you might be fleeing from God, running from what God wants you to do, he still pursues you. And he may be trying to get your attention through a storm that you're going through. That there's something going on in your life that's just tumultuous. And maybe that's God trying to get your attention so that you would turn and surrender and run back towards him. Then he continues in verse 5. It says this, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. And so you have the sailors, the mariners they're called, the sailors, they are afraid of what's going on. That gives you an idea. And these were sailors, right? So they had been in sea, they had been in ships, they had been in storms, but this storm was so huge that they knew there was something different about this. And so they kind of go into this frantic thing. They start throwing the cargo overboard, they start to pray to their gods. What's your God's name? Okay, you pray to him. What's your God's name? You pray to him. What's your, maybe he sent it. You pray to him. And they're trying to cover all of their bases and praying and praying and throwing stuff overboard. Meanwhile, Jonah is sleeping in the hull. And that says this in verse 6. It says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah didn't act. You know, he could have done a couple, he could have gone up on board and just said, hey, you know what, it's me, let's turn the ship around, head me back to Joppa, and I'll, you know, catch a caravan up to Nineveh. But he didn't do that. But all this chaos that's going on on the ship, here's what it tells us. And this is more about us than God's character in this one. But it's this. Is my disobedience affects others. Our disobedience, our running from God affects other people. Think about what was going on with Jonah. Right? So Jonah's on this ship. 
the storm comes and they are terrified. Right? So it's affecting the sailors. And then they begin to throw all the cargo into the sea. Right? And the reason they do that is so the, the ship is lighter, sits higher in the water, and maybe it's less likely to take water and sink. And so they throw all the cargo into the sea. Here's the problem with that. Right? This was a merchant ship that was being paid to take cargo from Joppa to Tarshish. That's these guys' livelihood. Like, they're going to arrive in Tarshish with no cargo. And they're not going to get paid for the transport. And they're probably going to have to repay all the stuff that they threw into the sea. Like, Jonah's lack of following God had a huge ripple effect on them. And the same is true for us. When we run from God, it has an effect on other people. You know, last week, if you listened to the message, we talked about parenting and that God calls every one of us to parent and to invest in our kids and to help them to see God and to keep influences out and to put influences into their lives. And you are called, if you're a parent, to be a parent. But if you run from that, if you're like, you know what, I'm not good at this. My wife is better. I don't have the time. I'm good at teaching baseball, but not the Bible. Or maybe you're divorced. You're like, well, I don't really have that much influence over my kid. Anyway, if you're making those excuses, your child suffers because you shrink back from what God is calling you to do. You know, if God is calling you to volunteer, to step up, and you don't, then somebody suffers. If God is calling you to give money and you don't, then God is causing or that you're causing somebody else to suffer because they don't have the blessing of what God is calling you to give to them. And relationships and, you know, if you start something and then you quit and you're supposed to keep going, there's an influence, there's an effect there. You know, I was thinking about this just this morning as I was praying. You know, one of the things that our family has committed to doing is to being foster parents, Right? And, and maybe that's something that God's laying on your heart. And it's the kind of thing, if you run from that, well, that disobedience affects a child that doesn't end up in your home. And I'm not saying that he's calling you to do that. I'm just, I want us to see that our disobedience, our running from God doesn't just affect us and what we're missing out on. It affects other people. Then we continue on in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, what could Jonah have done at this point? Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For, men, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What could Jonah have done at this point? Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? For the sea may quiet down for us. But the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What could Jonah have done 
at that point. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Again, what could Jonah have done at that point? Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish from this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. What could Jonah have done right there? So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, the sailors did what Jonah wouldn't do. They picked him up and they threw him into the sea. But at any point along there, Jonah could have done what needed to be done. When the storm started, he could have said, you know, it's me, and said, let's, let's head back. Or could have jumped overboard. And then when they cast lots and said, well, it's Jonah's fault, whatever is going on with Jonah and his God, that's the problem. He could have said, yeah, it's me, and jumped overboard. Right? When they started rowing against the wind and they couldn't get anywhere, he could have said, I- I'll solve this. And he could have jumped overboard. At any point in time, Jonah could have changed the circumstance. He could have changed what he was doing, but he didn't. And here's the next truth that I want us to see is this, is God's offer of surrender is always available. We don't have to hit rock bottom. We don't have to hit the point of chaos and craziness in our lives and a ripple effect in other people's lives. That that is always available. You know, thinking about this, book. It could have been a lot shorter book. It could have been like 12 or 15 verses long. The storm comes and Jonah's like, oh, my fault. And he jumps in and we would have just had Jonah chapter one, right? But he didn't do that. There's a girl that I was dating in college that I shouldn't have been dating. She wasn't a Christian, but I was following God. And it, might, it was a lot like a Jonah kind of story because I was following God. I was having quiet times, I was leading a Bible study. I was going on mission trips. I was going to church. I was volunteering. I was, look, I mean, I was following God, but there's this one area of dating this girl that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to kind of put this in a box. I'm going to run from God and not do what God wants me to do and and break up with her or not go out with her in the first place. But I didn't. I I kept dating her. And then eventually (laughs) she threw me overboard. (laughs) She dumped me. But as soon as she threw me overboard, as soon as she broke up with me, like a light came on. I'm like, oh my, and I was kind of like Jonah. I'm like, oh my goodness. I came to my senses and, and I recognized that. Here's what happens to Jonah in verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And so next week, we'll pick up with Jonah, and he'll be in the belly of the whale, and we'll kind of see his dialogue with God and what that looks like. Definitely encourage you to to tune in next week to find out what happens with Jonah in the whale. But I want to see one last truth about God from this, and it's really woven into a couple of different places, which is why I saved it for last. But a number of times, it says Jonah fled, or Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, that he was trying to get away from God's presence. 
But here's the question that I have for you. Did he actually get away from God's presence? He didn't. He said, I'm trying to get away from God's presence, but he could not get away from God's presence because God pursued him. He pursued him with the storm. He pursued him with the lot falling in on him. He pursued him with eventually the sailors picked him up and tossed him overboard. He pursued him with a great fish swallowing him up. And you see, here's the truth about God, and I love this, is we can run from God's presence, but not from his pursuit. We can run from God's presence. We can run all we want, but the truth about God is that he will continue to pursue you because he loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to return to him. That's who God is. You know, maybe this morning you're running from something and you know what that is. And God has put that on your heart and you're like, this is not Matt speaking, this is God speaking to me and I know what I'm running from. And it's time to surrender, time to turn around. Or maybe as you listen this morning, you're like, nothing really comes to mind. And I would encourage you, if that's you, to just pray and say, God, is there something that I'm running from that I'm not even aware of? Because when I was dating that girl in college, I'm not sure that I even knew that I was running but I didn't stop to ever ask the question, God, am I running from you in this? And so I'd encourage you to ask that question of God. God, is there something that I'm running from that I'm not aware of? But no matter where you are in your running, every moment you have the opportunity to say, I'm done running away from God, from fleeing from his presence, and I'm going to turn back and surrender and pursue him. And I encourage you to make that choice this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story of Jonah. Thank you, God, that you cared for him and pursued him, and that you care for us, and you love us, and you pursue us. Lord, let us recognize those areas that we are running from you, that we might surrender and turn back to you. God, thank you for your love and your pursuit of us. In Jesus' name, amen.